Well, we have finally reached the part of First Timothy chapter 2 that many of you have been anticipating. I would remind you, however, that we went over a lot of this material when we went through 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 14. Those lessons are still up there and they're still in the midweek Bible series, our midweek Bible study series. So you can go to our website and go to our YouTube channel. You can search for 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, and you'll see a lot of this material was laid out in some detail about um, women in ministry. At our safe harbor, women's voices are welcome and, and their wisdom and voices are welcome in every position from um, being on our board to delivering the sermon to leading at communion or in worship. They are considered co-equal uh, partners, men and women, and able to do these jobs. And that's very much not like many churches where women's uh, roles are very sharply defined and very, very limited. The people who limit women's roles do go to certain passages, especially 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy chapter 2. So again, reminding you that a lot of this stuff and more uh, is especially dealing with the Corinthian passages is available back there. Just go have a look. We're going to have a look at it here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 11. But before we do, remember we've already said we don't require people to lift up their hands when we pray, nor do we think that failure to lift up your hands negates your prayer, or even worse, is an act of rebellion against Almighty God. We, we understand that was a cultural thing, the norm there, limited. We've already also said that it's all right for women to wear jewelry and nice clothes, that we don't want anybody to overdo in their, you know, in their dressing because that would be immodest. It would not be a humble spirit, but that only that individual can draw that line. We cannot draw lines for other people. For example, I'm wearing a shirt here today, which is, I think it cost me maybe 15, $18, something like that on a rack, uh, a sales rack. And you could tell this is a, a clearance sale shirt. In many places, this would be looked upon as super casual, where in many places in the world, this would be better than any shirt that they could find or get. So wearing it in some places might be better than wearing it in others. This is difficult. And so we don't think Paul was saying in all churches everywhere, women have to dress with like this. But the idea of modesty, um, and again, modesty there, meaning don't show off too much wealth and power. Um, we think modesty is exactly what we have been taught through Scripture. And there's also a, um, uh, we also divided it because it's not about sexual clothing or sexualizing your outfit. It's about too much wearing instead of too less. All right. But we've understood as we go through, okay, Timothy was dealing with things in Corinth and Ephesus that uh, you and I generally do not have to deal with. And then we hit this. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. 
And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness with propriety. What? I think you should say what. Even if you're highly traditional when it comes to women's roles, and by traditional, I mean super restricted. I Doesn't, doesn't verse 15 give you pause? Well, I've seen it explained away. I've seen people put enormously twisted ways to explain away verse 15 while keeping verses 11 through 14 as God's law for all churches, all times, all people. God even created women, they say, for these limited roles. But that's just not the case. So, again, the praying, we, um, we understand that's cultural. The wearing of, of clothes, we get the point. Well, what's the point of women learning in quietness and full submission? Remember where they were. In Corinth, but especially in Ephesus, women were used to ruling the religious roost, but they were also used to a form of life that was very loud and way out there. As people might say today, uh, just a lot of extra. There's a lot of extra here. But can we prove this? Of course we can. The word here for silence learn in quietness. Most versions say learn in silence. And I don't know how to pronounce this because I'm not a Greek expert at all. In fact, I'm, I'm not a Greek anything at all. I have to go to the experts to know anything about Greek. But the word here only occurs in two other places in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, it means a quiet spirit. Not volume, but attitude. In Acts 22 and verse 2, it refers to a hush that comes over the crowd when Paul is speaking. It's not the word for absolute silence, segato, that you find in other places. This is attitude. This is learn to pay attention. It's one of the hard things to do when, if you have any children is to help them focus and to pay attention. And I don't think a lot of us are teaching our children very well because you can go into airports and people are trying to get to their gate and you'll see people going this way, side by side, slowly, just kind of weaving around, not because they can't walk fast, but because they're completely unaware they're plugging the pipe. People need to get around them somehow. And if you don't want to be rude, and I don't want to be rude, sometimes it can be comical because you figure, all right, I'm going to pass on this side, and they just kind of ease over there. Well, I'll try to pass it, then they ease over there, completely unaware. Well, focus is important, and Paul needs the people in Ephesus and Corinth to focus, and especially some of the women that have been, there had been issues there. I'm sure there were issues with men too, if you did not notice chapter one, ends with naming two men. So this is a, a, a problem, male and female, but these women are called out for one particular thing here. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach. The word there for teach refers to a, a specific kind of teaching. 
which is an authority and power. The only ones that could do this in all three books were Paul, Timothy, Titus, and the elders. This is speaking from uh, for the church. Well, is that a forever then? I believe here, in fact, that he's talking about a specific situation and not all churches at all times because Philip had four daughters that preached. And we looked at that just a few weeks ago. We know that uh, Priscilla is the only person named in scripture as, um, or Prisca is the only one named in scripture as, um, as a deacon. The others, we assume we know who the other deacons are, but they're not called a deacon, but she is. We also know that in 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, and 14, that women are very much involved in singing, and singing is a teaching, according to the book of Colossians. They write hymns, they sing hymns, those are teaching. And I kept saying, Priscilla, Phoebe. Phoebe is the only one called a, a deacon. I'm not going to go back and start this again. Let's just keep rolling, all right? So what's going on here? There are many who believe that some women had fallen prey to a heresy, which they find evidence for this in 2 Timothy chapter, um, chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, where false teachers were said to have led some of the women astray. Remember that he's writing to the same guy. And so you put these letters together and try to get a picture, even though you're only reading part of one person's mail and never a response. Others believe that the women here should refer to the young widows that Paul had talked about and saying that they tended to become gossips and busybodies. That I would submit to you that Paul had a huge overgeneralizing here. See, I can say that because I believe that Paul was trying to apply Christ, but I do not believe that everything that Paul wrote, that he was just a secretary for God, which is what a lot of people want us to believe. And this is in September, and in September you will have already heard a little bit in the Monday morning messages about the dangers of our doctrine versus God's character. I know it's going to be a little obtuse to you if you've not checked them out, but please check out this month's um, Monday morning messages, and we'll, you'll, you'll see some more about what we talk about there. We're all just trying to swim toward the light, and Paul could be pretty rough. He could, you know, for example, he tells Titus, everybody in Crete is a liar and a glutton, and well, that's not true, not everybody, but he's making a point, and he's also being a person of his culture. Uh, for as for having authority here, you know, having authority over a man, it seems to be a slang term and it doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. Um, if you look in a lexicon, which is what I have to do, you find it says to dominate being self-willed arbitrator, uh, arbitrary behavior or an unlawful usurpation of authority. So that's, if I invite a woman um, that we all respect. And I say, would you please preach this Sunday and, and tell us your mission, tell us your story. And she does. There's no unlawful usurpation here. There's no arbitrary interruption. There's no domination here. And I believe that Paul is really preaching that nobody has the right 
to usurp the authority of uh, the local church and just take it over and disrupt the worship. Well, the most troubling part of this passage to me is verses 13 and 14. And I'm not even getting to 15 yet because there seems to be an issue, a problem. Whenever I talk to people about this being a limited situation, a limited moment and a limited locality, they will very often almost always come back. No, he roots it in creation for it was Eve who was deceived first, not Adam. That only works if you've not read the rest of the Bible, because in Romans, he goes at great lengths to say that it is through Adam that sin entered mankind and Adam was the first to fall. Then you see, you put these two together and you see the way that God treats male and female. And you see that Adam and Eve were of a like mind. It wasn't just Eve that was deceived and Adam went, okay, honey, you're really cute. I'll do what you want. No, he went right along with it. And in fact, according to Romans was the driver of it. According here, Eve is the driver of it. Which one are you going to pick? If you're waiting for me to give you the solution and how this all ties together neatly and it's not really a contradiction, I can't do that. But I will tell you, I have read probably two dozen or three dozen books by people trying to make this fit and then declaring, thus saith the Lord. And you just can't do that. Either sin entered through Adam or it entered through Eve. Pick one, unless they both were in on it, in which case this argument doesn't really work, except in Ephesus, the stories of their gods, Diana or Artemis, and in Corinth, uh, there were, uh, their main gods had a creation story where it was women who were created first or female deities and spirits and that men were created second and that men were therefore weaker than women. And if this sounds very strange to you, it's, I, I understand, but there have been many societies in life where it was a matriarchal line and the Scottish Kings, for example, all the way up through Macbeth and some line after uh, the kingship came through the mother, not the father. And it was, and again, there are exceptions. But in many societies in our time, that's the way it worked. And, and the gods were female. We dig up a lot of female deities that are very, um, very over-sexualized and often pregnant at the same time to show, you know, they are the source of life and they are the source and they were the first Paul may be correcting that teaching from paganism that is coming in, that it was Eve that was made first, and then Adam was the center. There are some of the early Gnostics that taught this as well, um, but it is generally assumed that Gnostic thought had not really taken root when this was written. I'm not really sure because we keep finding earlier and earlier Gnostic teaching uh, we used to think it was well after this, and now we're saying it's after, but not like two and three generations after. 
we keep finding more and more Gnosticism being earlier and earlier. So I don't really know. Uh, and I don't know that it can be known. But that is one way that what Paul is saying here could be a corrective to a false doctrine without him saying that Adam's off the hook because, you know, it was Eve that did it. Because in Romans, he says it was Adam through Adam. So what are you going to do there? I think what you have to do is say this obviously has, has to be, I mean, this, this is a unicorn right here. You, you have to look at this and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about this because everything else we've been looking at has a general principle, but it is a problem which is localized and in a culture which is not ours. So why would we change when we come to here? And then verse 15, for those who take everything in verses 11 and 12, literally, and then who skip over 13 and 14's problems, what do you do with 15? What are we saved by? Well, we're saved by the blood of Christ. We're saved by grace. Scripture says we're saved by faith. Yeah, baptism. In fact, there are a lot of things the Bible says we're saved by. Are you ready to say a woman is saved only by childbirth? If a woman can't give birth, then can she be saved? Look at verse 15. How literal are you going to be on verse 15? Because that will really show whether you're taking all of this literally or whether you're willing to say this is a cultural limited thing. And I truly believe with all my heart this is cultural this is very limited, and that Paul was overreaching on a few of the things that he says here because they don't sound like Jesus. They just don't. Most of what Paul does sounds like Jesus. And by the way, Paul's open about that. He will sometimes say, I, not the Lord, say this. Then there are other times he says, not I, but the Lord says this. He understood that not everything he said was exactly what Jesus would have said. He is writing about a particular issue. I email so many people every week, and I'm not saying that to keep you from emailing. It's info at rsafeharbor.com. Or if you want it to be only to my eyes, patrick at rsafeharbor.com. I email all over. It would be so very easy to take some of my emails, cut and paste, and make me look like a monster. And what we don't understand, and we need to, is that you these are letters, and we're only reading one side. And when you grab one verse out of this chapter, and you run over to another book, and you grab four verses, and you run over to the Old Testament and find a story to back it up, you are not handling Scripture correctly. You have lost all context. Because context of, say, Ephesians is very different than the context of Deuteronomy and has nothing to do with the context that we find in the stories and acts. You must fit things in a context because a text without a context is a pretext. Write that down, get it on a t-shirt. I didn't make it up. A text without context is a pretext. No, I do not believe that women are saved through their salvation, uh, through their uh, childbirth. And in fact, this is a very strange 
thing to our thinking. And I've seen it explained and explained away, and I really don't want to even spend time with it. Uh, you can find it easily. If you look around, find lessons on it. I believe he was talking about something which we will never really grasp unless we become an expert in the history and the, the doctrines and cultures that this was written to. As for now, I just keep saying this is limited. And I, can, I believe I can show you that. Paul told Titus for the older women to teach the younger women. Priscilla is mentioned alongside of her husband. In fact, the first couple times we, we get them, it's Aquila and Priscilla. But after then, it's always Priscilla and Aquila. And back then, whose name was mentioned first was exceptionally important. Obviously, she had become the dominant teacher. Maybe she was better at it. Maybe she knew more. Maybe she had time to read and study more. Perhaps Aquila didn't feel that he needed to be the teacher because she was so good at it. I don't know, but what I know is her name was given prominence, not his. There are mentions of the church in their home in Acts chapter 18. Uh, Yodia and Syntyche are referred to as Paul's fellow workers and exceptionally important for him. And again, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul told women that they could pray and prophesy in the public forum. It was about an attitude, not a volume. And this, that attitude of silence, by the way, that word also refers to men in 1 Corinthians 14. We are to be also under authority, guys. We're also supposed to have a quiet spirit. In Ephesians, as we've already looked at, both men and women are told, submit to one another out of respect for Christ. But we always skip over that verse in a rush to get wives, submit to your husbands. Submit to each other. Philip, the evangelist, I already said, had four daughters uh, who helped him prophesy and prophesied alongside. Acts chapter 21. Women are to sing, Colossians chapter 3. And singing is a form of teaching. Uh, I, I sing a lot of hymns that were written by women. Those hymns teach me, and through singing, these women are teaching others. To say that a woman is to be silent, and to mean God said it, and that's all it means, and it says what it means, and means what it says, then a woman can't speak at all. Certainly not in the assembly. Certainly not... Um, not singing, because that's a teaching thing, or praying, or the... And since we're, we are the church, does that mean she has to be silent everywhere? And you go down these roads, and you find a mistreatment of women, and you find a devaluing of women, and you find also churches that really could use a woman's voice, a woman's perspective, and they don't get it. They don't hear it. So churches where I've served for the last, I don't know, uh, two decades perhaps, have caused a lot of hate mail because we have deferred to our sisters and said, you know this better than I. Would you teach us this? You do this better than I do. Would you do this? Or lead ministries, co-preach or preach on their own. You don't believe that a man has to always be up there to be in some kind of like testosterone bubble for the woman to speak. No, no, nope, not at all. In fact, I've been all the way across the country 
and ask for a woman to stand in my place in the pulpit. And they have, and they've done without, without exception, a marvelous job. Well, I can do that because I understand that this is a temporary local issue that Paul's writing about. Oh, there's more. Um, if you run with this too far, by the way, uh, you end up being in some ways like David Lipscomb, who was a pioneer theologian for the churches of Christ, the Christian churches, and the disciples of Christ before they all split and went their separate ways, where he did not believe a woman could be the boss over a man in business, could never have a political role, could never, uh, always had to defer to a male if a male entered the room. I find that appalling. I hope you do too. Paul is not trying to shut down women, nor is God here. In fact, in many churches, women can't do anything. Um, they can't pass the communion around. They can't pick up the collection. I always wonder, what authority are they violating here? If they pass something, as, as one person put it to me, the Lord's Supper is the only meal we tell women they're not allowed to serve. I find that fascinating and, uh, and quite the insight. Um, again, I would recommend that you read several books if you're, if you're interested in this, but you can also look up um, Bobby Valentine. Bobby, Bobby has a great Facebook page and he, and he um, posts long form. So when you get in there, you're going to be, you're going to be reading an article by a scholar and it's going to go into depth. So be prepared, but it's not depth that you can't get into and get out of. You're going to learn, you know, there are people who know a lot of stuff who don't know how to teach it. Bobby knows a lot of stuff and he knows how to teach it. Now he and uh, he and I may not agree on everything. I actually don't know if we do or not, because I don't seek that out. And I don't think he does either, but you can also, um, by the way, he has a blog and I think the links on his Facebook page, uh, stoned Campbell blogspot.com. But you can also find Al Maxey, M-A-X-E-Y. Look him up. An amazing writer, an amazing man, uh, one of my heroes. Look him up. Uh, again, he has Facebook, but he also has a blog that he posts on. You can look for that. But there are so many other sources out there. Uh, I used to do a blog myself for many years until that server went down that had it on there. And so I decided I wasn't going to start it again. In some ways, the Monday morning messages are a form of that blog. But for us at this point, we need to understand that Paul here was not trying to speak for all people at all times in all places. And again, we there are so many proofs of this and we could go, I've got stacks of paper over here. We could go so deep in here. But again, Paul... Don't, don't go after Paul. Paul. Paul can be sharp. He can be harsh. But he wasn't trying to keep women in submission, as in, shut up. No, no, no. Well, let's move on. If you want to know more, you can write in your questions, and we'll do our best to answer them. Fair enough? Chapter 3, do we have time? We have a little bit of time to start it. Here's a trustworthy saying. He said this twice now in this book. Of like, here are things you hear, and this one's right. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, 
the word overseer, we got to deal with that because in America, for example, if you hear overseer, you think somebody that works for the slave owner to keep the slaves in line, because that's what the word generally means here. Therefore, I find this to be a very unfortunate translation. However, it's accurate because in those days, an overseer was something different. It meant somebody who cared for the flock, who cared for the field, not somebody who drove others, not somebody who enslaved others, not somebody who bossed others, but instead one who was among the sheep to care for them, among the fields to tend them. Therefore, they were overseeing it. They were, they were there to make sure things went well. And if you know anything about sheep, you know that you cannot drive sheep. You have to lead sheep. And it's, it's only by mutual consent that you can get sheep to do things. So get out of your mind the idea of an overseer being somebody that cracks the whip or goes in and meets in a small room and decides the rules for the rest of the people. No, 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 no. That's why traditionally they've, um, they translated this bishop or presbyter um, or a leader in the church. If you want to be a leader in the church, that's a good thing. That's, uh, verse 1 says it's a noble task. But you got to do it nobly. And you have to do it the way Jesus did it. So he gives a list here. And we're going to start the list. And then we're going to take a, um, a, a little bit of break and pick it up next week. Okay? Now the overseer, again, I just don't like that word, must be above reproach. Does that mean that this man has never done anything wrong? Of course not. Where, where are you going to get this person? And by the way, yeah, I believe I could also say this woman. In fact, let's just do that. Before I get into this list, let's talk about this. If I were to ask you, give me the definition of a Christian. And you thought for a while and you said, well, a Christian's a man who's, who loves his wife and is faithful to his wife. He raises his children up in the fear and admonition of the, admonition of the Lord. Um, I'm mispronouncing a lot today, sorry. Got a silent migraine and those mess with this. It comes with trigeminal neuralgia. So don't worry about me. I'm, I'm way, way, way blessed. No, co no complaints. I'm just sorry that I'm mispronouncing some words. Um, don't get the home ready for me yet, but you might want to get the brochure. Um, so you say this Christian man and he loves his wife and he's raising his children well and he's active in his church He's respected in his community. Uh, he gives of his means generously to the church and to any charities and those he sees in need. You know, he's been baptized into Christ. Um, he follows scripture the best he can. I would tell you that, that that's an okay definition, it, except unless you try to make that the definition. You're giving a general picture, but are you saying then a Christian has to be a man? That a Christian has to be married? That a Christian has to have children? That a Christian has to have enough money to give to the church? Because people, some people don't have enough money to feed themselves. 
But we're saying here, all right, you're saying a Christian has to give to the church and charities and to the needy, and that they have to be active in their church. So no housebound, you know, paralysis, handicap, uh, agoraphobia, none of those people can be a Christian. If I were to say that to you, you would pull back immediately and go, no, 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 that's, I was just trying to give a general picture. Exactly. So when we read this starting next week, look at this as a general definition, not a legal document. Today, I clicked on a box that electronically signed uh, permission for a banker to roll over my IRA one more year because I'm not retiring. I don't have enough to retire on and I don't get social security. So I'm going to have to do, you know, going to have to work as long as I can work. And, and I like work. So work's good. So I have to click. Well, all right. There were a lot of pages that you're signing to and I didn't read them. And I just didn't because I know something. Number one, I'll never understand what I'm reading. I think that's the whole point of a legal document, isn't it? Eight pages, this one was, single space, small type. And two, I trust that there are enough laws and regulations out there that the bank is gonna take care of this and do it in a lawful manner. And there's, they're, they're insured with the FDIC. You know, that's all you can do. I don't wanna read a legal document I want to read the Bible and the Bible is about people, real people in real places with real issues, just like us. We'll pick it up next time. Remember, if you have any questions, let me know, but also subscribe to our YouTube channel, please. And introduce one person a week to it. It'd be amazingly helpful. Thank you. God bless. Cheers. Well, welcome back.